gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller, and this is our first episode of 2021. I don't think I've said that out loud yet. And, you know, we have gotten a lot of questions on just basic questions, but also that has to do with episodes we did last year. So we thought, you know, our listeners like the question and answer episodes. We're just going to start the year off with that. And we do have some great things planned for 2021. Uh, I did want to mention, if you appreciate the work that we're doing There are ways that you can support us. You can support us monthly on Patreon. All of this is linked in the episode notes and on our website. You can support us on Patreon, um, you know, even a few dollars a month. That helps us. You can also give a one-time donation through PayPal. You can purchase some of our merch and you can share this episode. That is also a way that you can help us. I think some of the questions that we have are kind of very... uh, timely because there are things that we're dealing with um, uh, just on a regular basis and this this first one is something I think it's become especially kind of common in recent years and that's cancel culture and uh, she asks should Christians participate in cancel culture I see a lot of posts by women in my church talking about cutting toxic people out of their lives that seems counter to the biblical command to love our enemies. Am I missing something? Although I probably would distinguish between cutting toxic people out and cancel culture. But what do you think, Rachel? Yeah, I think that you take, kind of take it as two different parts of a question, right? Um, you think about, you know, what what is cancel culture? Right? I looked up some like official definitions and. Um, cancel culture would be dismissing or rejecting someone or something because of what they've said, what they've done, or who they're associated with. I think it's a good way of thinking about it. Um, that leads to shunning or ostracizing people or um, organizations, companies. And um, right now, the, the term cancel culture itself seems to be used a lot pejoratively. Like if, oh, if you say, well, I don't support x y or z because of this thing then oh you're you're just participating in cancel culture but honestly uh i think that this is a place where we can use wisdom i think it's a place where we have liberty as believers and as um you know as citizens of our country to make our our voices heard and you know I, one of the things i've noticed in the discussions recently Cancel culture and the the terms tend to get used that, that this is something that uh, people of particular political background are more likely to do than others. And looking back on my own experiences as an evangelical Christian, 
Um, I think this kind of cancel culture happens across all the political spectrum, liberals and conservatives. It may be different as, as to why, like the different rules about how it's done, but the outcome's the same. And um, I was thinking recently about uh, like the, the boycotts uh, for Disney back when I was a teen. Uh, do you remember, what, remember that, Colleen? Yes. Right. <laughs> a lot of Christians right. involved in that. Right. Um, and I'm not, you know, saying that it's not a good thing to do. I mean, we we can all make some decisions about that. But I think that it's been done, or the more recent one with Target over uh, like the bathrooms and transgender issues, that there right. have been these kinds of concerns raised for boycotts. Although I guess maybe it's often called boycotting um, on the conservative side of things. But, um, you know, I think that we have liberty as Christians to decide how we spend our money, what business we support or don't support, um, what organizations or even, you know, even public figures that we um, follow or share and like, support, you know, with social media. We can choose what we're comfortable with, uh, what we're comfortable being part of, and also make our voices heard. And that's not wrong to do that, right? It's not bad to ha- to be discerning, right? Um, what do you think? Yeah, you know, as, as I'm thinking about this, I think of different sorts of things, like you brought up the Disney or the Target. And I remember when that was going on. And one of the things that happened that did bother me is some people said, yes, I'm going to boycott Disney. And for these reasons, but there was almost a mocking attitude towards those that chose not to. Mm -hmm. And this is where we need to have respect both ways. But there was sometimes a mocking attitude towards those that chose to. So I think uh, you hit on something important about this being Christian liberty and the importance of kind of having some respect in the in the Christian liberty Um, realm of things like we we talk about this with schooling and with with other uh, such decisions that we would make but one of the things and I think we've been accused of a sort of cancel culture uh, because of some teachers that we have called out and I think that's a a completely different sort of thing Uh, I think we we have scripture that calls us to not have anything to do with um, false teachers and, and those sorts of things. Uh, you know, we get things thrown at it, us like, oh, you just have Doug Wilson derangement syndrome, which they're kind of saying, no matter what Doug Wilson does, you're just, you're so deranged in your view of him that you're just going to find a problem with it. And I, I really think that that's another sort of sort of thing than the boycotting Disney. Right. And, you know, we're, we are called to love our enemies, right? We should be kind. We should be gentle. We should be peaceable in what we do. Um, But when we talk about discernment and we're talking about things like, especially uh, Christians and those within our own circles, like so conservative Christian reformed Christian circles, uh, we should be extremely discerning and careful about what we support and promote. And that's that's where it is right for us to say, I disagree very strongly with what this person is teaching or what this person is promoting, and these are the reasons why. We don't have to be ugly about it, but I think it's right for us to be open about that. And it's not um, unloving or unkind of us to make those kind of discernment judgment calls. Um when we're talking about what to do and how to do it and what uh, businesses to support or not or organizations, you know, there's, um, I think there's a great passage in scripture that gives us some guidelines. If First uh, Corinthians 10, Paul's been talking for a couple of chapters on, for example, like food that's been uh, sacrifice to to idols to pagan gods, and whether or not Christians should participate in in eating these kinds of foods. And when he gets down to at the end of First Corinthians ten, um, as he talks about uh, 
starting with verse 25, eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for the sake of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and all that contains. Uh, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat, eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for the sake of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of that one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And so what Paul is saying here is we can go about our business. We can do, uh, we can do our shopping, do our, uh, our business, do our interactions with unbelievers without having to be overly cautious and asking, well, you know, does this business do this, that, or the other, or this business, or these people? We don't have to spend all of our time investigating. And we can, and we honor God in what we do. But if someone tells us, look, this business is doing X, Y, and Z horrible things, uh, and, and we say, well, I can't participate in that. And you do that because it lets that person know, the unbeliever know, that there are, right, there are things that are right and wrong, there are things that are important, and that because you serve the Lord, there are things you won't participate in. And I think that's a, a great balance, then, in how we look at what we do and what we take part, of, part in in our culture. Yeah, Romans 14 is is another one that talks about that the same sorts of things that uh, you were quoting from Corinthians. And I'll just read a couple passages. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. And, you know, I, I would encourage reading that, that whole passage, but there... Um, we are still to have love and respect and understanding and patience with one another. Um, Romans twelve eighteen, it says one of my favorite verses. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Right, and I think that that is one of the uh, the goals we should all have in in our interactions with others, especially as tensions around us in our country and in our culture tend to be very high. Uh, make it our goal to be peaceable, uh, even in our disagreements. Uh, One of the things she asked in that first question kind of uh, is a good segue to the second question, but she says, um, you know, um, aren't we commanded to love our enemies? Am I missing something? And and the next question says, is it biblical to have boundaries? Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's asking, especially with parents, am I honoring my parents if I have boundaries? And I really think... Um, the word love there, um, the word honor there. I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of of what these things look like. Uh, so, loving our enemies doesn't mean I go stand up to abuse. I go stand and take abuse from them, right. or um, am okay with being mistreated, or accept false doctrine, or any number of things. Um, so, what do you think about boundaries? Is that biblical? You know, I was thinking about, you know, when you talk about toxic people, dealing with the question in the first and then also with this, um, I think you have to be careful about our definitions. A person, a toxic person is not just someone that we disagree with, right? We're going to have people around us who we disagree with uh, on various things to various degrees. And we have to learn how to be, um, how to get along, right, in those situations. When we're talking about... Um, someone that is truly toxic, and we're talking about boundaries. Uh, A definition of boundaries that I found that I like talked about boundaries are guidelines, rules, or limits that we put in place that identify reasonable, safe, permissible ways for other people to behave towards us. And it's how we respond when these boundaries and limits are not honored. So a a toxic person would be someone who is constantly, uh, consistently, ignoring, disregarding uh, boundaries and reasonable ways of behavior around us. Now, we all have boundaries. Like, we know it's not okay to go stomp on someone's toes. Uh, we know it's not okay just, like, to, to walk by and kiss a random stranger. These are reasonable societal boundaries that we have, right? Um, and it used to be considered extremely impolite to talk about politics or religion in public, right? These were topics that were considered inappropriate for public discussion, right? So, Boundaries are are appropriate and natural. We have them, and we should have them uh, to have limits and guidelines on acceptable behavior and limiting access 
so that toxic people, dangerous people, uh, don't have access to us. That's those are appropriate ways of of living and dealing with each other because it protects us and others. A good Bible verse here, Proverbs has several um, that talk about how we deal with people and interact with each other. Uh, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, Do not make friends with a person given to anger or go with a hot-tempered person or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. So the warning there about uh, there are people that we should be careful around, that we should be protect ourselves from because of their behavior, because of how they treat others and how they uh, interact. Another passage, uh, going back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 9, Paul has been talking before uh, with the Corinthians about how to interact with sexually immoral people. He says, you know, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or is verbally abusive or habitually drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. And, you know, Paul's point here. He says, for what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Right? Um, but those who are outside, God judges. Remove the evil person from among yourselves. You see here, Paul's talking about the fact that we, we live in a world where there are going to be people all around us who are sinners. We can't escape that, and we have to learn how to live in such a world. But he does warn us that if we have people in our uh, Christian communities who claim to be believers, but are you know, sexually immoral, greedy, idolatr- idolatrous, verbally abusive, drunk, swindler, that we are not to associate with them. We are to remove ourselves from them. And that is exactly what good, solid boundaries are about. Now, when you're talking about having boundaries as an adult with your parents, um, I think that is an appropriate thing, too. And, and not that parents are toxic or abusive or... You know, but the the idea that you are an adult and you are responsible on your own to set up your own household and to make your decisions and you're responsible directly to the Lord for the decisions that you make, it is appropriate then to have boundaries for what um, influence your parents have on your life. And while honoring them and respecting them, you can still choose to do things the way um, you feel led to in the way that you uh, believe is uh, the the right way according to your conscience and according to the liberty that you have in Christ and according to how uh, you know the Spirit has illumined you in the Scriptures to, to behave and act. And those are appropriate boundaries that are not at all dishonoring of our parents. Well, and we all have boundaries Absolutely. on all sorts of things in life, whether we think about it or not. Um, you have, you know, when you get married and you are now living with your spouse and your relationship with your parents changes somewhat, you know, whether you were, you may have been gone from your parents' home to now a home with your spouse. But we, we all have certain boundaries. When my, when my parents moved here to Colorado, I said to them, okay, you can't just show up at my house. <laughs> You you know, I, I kind of created a boundary that I wanted followed. You can't just show up at my house. You need to call before you come over. Um, you know, but we all we all have little things. If um, to the person who asked this question, even if you just think on a we have boundaries with friends and with our children and with almost everyone sure. in our lives. Uh, I think so. It's wise, even if it's not a toxic person and you can still love and honor and. Um, do the things that Scripture has called us to, you know, even with boundaries. And Scripture does. The, the passage you read, Rachel, that's a passage, you know, uh, commanding us to create boundaries with certain kinds of people. Right. And it's not, it's still loving, right? Even if you're dealing with someone who is, um, that you're they're setting up a boundary over someone because they're sinful, Right. It is still loving to set up that boundary because you're protecting those who are vulnerable. 
And your hope and prayer is for restoration of this person. And by setting up a boundary, you're telling them that this is not okay. And you know, that's, that is a good thing. That is loving. Yeah. I mean, if somebody uh, does has kind of proven themselves untrustworthy and they continue continuously do the same thing, breaking your trust over and over again, uh, it's wise to say, I'm going to have boundaries with this person so that they're not enabled to continue to do the same bad behavior. And I think wisdom, we talk about that a lot, but there are so many things that are not black and white, but are a matter of wisdom and boundaries Mm -hmm. are wise. I agree. So I think probably one of the most common questions we get in the Facebook group, and and it's a hard one. I mean, I'm going to even say it's a simple question, but, but it's a hard one. And it's how do I find a good church? And I, I will share when my husband and I have moved and I'm looking for a church. I I write a list of questions that we ask the pastor, you know, things that you know are important. Um, But Rachel, you have some ideas on looking for a good church. Well, it is. It's again, it's a very simple question with a very complex answer, right? Like how, and some of it is how do you, how do you define you know, what is a good church? Right. You know, so, you know, I think it's important that you make, um, you know, kind of your list of, of things that you think are important to find in a church. And um, you look at the church, that, you know, looking at a church, look at what they say and what they do. Uh, look at how they treat others. Um, I would encourage anyone who's, you know, especially if you move into a new area or looking for a church, to take time to visit churches and get to know the people um, before you decide and that this is where you're going to stay. Because um, it can take some time to know whether or not it's it's a, a solid place. Some places look great on the outside, but you find out that there's you know, significant um, dangers and you know, underlying problems. Um, you know, recognizing that no church is going to be 100% everything that you could ever want or look for. Um, and there's going to be prioritization in your mind about what are the things that, you know, it has to have these things. And I would like it to have this, but if it doesn't, you know, you have to make up those, make up your mind on those things on your own. But, um, you know, if, if the gospel is being preached, if, um, you know, they, that they're offering the sacraments appropriately, if the uh, leadership of the church is, um, you know, firm in, in the faith and on truth and on the gospel, but also, you know, pastorally gentle with their people. These are the things that I would look for um, to, to determine whether or not it would be a, a good place, a safe place to worship. And and it is a good idea to write down some questions to meet with a pastor if you're considering that church and ask those questions, um, we have a lot of a, a lot of topics that have been brought up in the last few years when we talk about abuse and how it's correctly dealt with, and um, you know, there, if those things are important to you, ask those questions too. Um, you know, Rachel mentioned, you know, the marks of a true church um, are definitely things to ask about. We got the preached word, the sacraments, and church discipline. Um, Are they a church that practices discipline appropriately? But uh, you also want to see if if that's done with wisdom. For instance, I have heard stories in, I guess, um, Reformed Baptistic or Calvinistic Baptist churches where, because of the way that their church government is, that the pastor kind of unilaterally decides somebody's disciplined and excommunicated. You, you want to ask questions about how those things are dealt with and make sure that they're dealt with with wisdom. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would even, just to add a couple things, um, I would, and this is just based on stories that I've heard, but I would even ask things like, you know, if the, if the elders have knowledge that... Um, that there's an abuser in the church, do they inform the congregation? 
Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's, there's been stories where people later find out that somebody's a convicted child molester or things mm-hmm. like that. And the, and the elders are like, well, he's repentant, so we don't have to tell anybody. Well, that that's not wise. So, so write, write out some questions and, you know, give it time. Try some different churches in your area. I know it's a difficult thing. So we, we got an email uh, not long after our purity culture episode, and I saved it as one to answer here and I just took part of it because it was a really long email and so I'll give kind of the gist of it um, this lady listens to our podcast and appreciates what we're doing and the episodes on purity culture really got her thinking and uh, I, I think it's the only person that's asked this question but uh, I've seen some people in the group ask you know well if I can't use all these books over here, if they're problematic, um, are there any that are good? And, well, can I just use those books but take out the bad stuff? Of course, I would say I think those books are foundationally problematic, so I would say no to that, but what do you think? And how? And also, lastly, how do I go about teaching purity was the last part of her question. Well, yeah, I, I do, I agree, Colleen, that, you know, majority of those books on purity that especially the ones we've been talking about in that episode and other other places recently the the problems are so foundational to it that it would be hard to weed out you know the the bad parts to get the the gems that would be useful to use um i mean i'm not i'm not going to bind anyone's conscience on that Uh, if you feel like you can do it you know that's that's really up to you. But I wouldn't want to um, to use many of the books based on how much trouble it would be to work through what was problematic uh, and how to apply what, what might be useful. Um, places I might start, uh, of course, uh, I think Rachel Welcher's book, uh, talking back to the purity culture, was. Uh, is a great place to start. You can look at that episode that we did with her. Um, I think the Handle with Care by Lori Wilbert um, is another one that I think talks about uh, as a starting point for purity and the importance of uh, not going to certain extremes in your discussion. Um, What do you think, Colleen? Are there others that you would... You know, I was thinking about this because I always think about what a great job I think my parents did mm. in in teaching me, and they never, ever used a book. <laughs> they they didn't. Right. And I knew from the time um, I knew what marital intimacy was that that was reserved for marriage. I, I always knew that, and I was devoted to that. And I really thought about how is it that my parents were able to instill that in me because I grew up before the purity culture. Um, and so I didn't get some of that that baggage. But I really think teaching your children what Scripture says, um, catechizing your children, these things come up within those discussions. Go, reading Scripture with your children, you... I mean, as moms, anyone that's a mom knows that we have discussions all day, every day, mm-hmm. and opportunities to discuss these things. I I don't know of any book other than the ones that Rachel mentioned that's that I can say, oh, here's a great book. But I I do think scripture. Mm-hmm. I know that's a simplistic answer, but I I really think that teaching your children. You know what? What Scripture says: sex is reserved for marriage, and it's a gift from the Lord. And you know these things are are important. Um, you know, teaching your girls modesty, but wisdom in how you teach mm-hmm. that. And, and I just, I think my parents did a great job without a book. So I guess that's where my perspective kind of comes from. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say very similar. I think that you know staying as close to scripture as we can um, is key, right? Because it's when we get into the the making up of additional rules and 
um, you know, checklists and hedges that we get into some dangerous territory. Not that we shouldn't have rules and guidelines, but we should be careful how we get there. Right? So the closer we stick to scripture, I think the the more um, uh, more firm our foundation is in talking with our kids. And I think with our kids, it's about, you know, it's holistic. It's a lifetime of talking with them and, and demonstrating to them what's important in life and what matters and how we treat each other and how we treat people and, you know, how to be, um, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, you know, along those lines, I think, Amy Bird's book, uh, Why Can't We Be Friends, is another place to kind of help ground the discussion as, you know, we're siblings in Christ, and this is how we should treat each other. And so purity is about honoring that sibling relationship that we have with others, both, you know, how we expect others to treat us and how we treat others. You know, those are all, uh, because it's so much more than just how we dress and so much more than whether or not, you know, we can check the box that when we walk down the aisle and get married that we have, you know, you know, never had sex before. It, it, there's so much more to purity than those, those things, you know? Yeah. And I, I think focusing with your children on what it means to love God and neighbor, you know, Rachel mm-hmm. brought up some, some great uh, points on how we're to treat one another. Well, like, you know, for example, you know, Colleen and I both, we, we have boys, right? Teenage boys, um, older boys now for you. And I want them to know that it's important how they treat others. It's important how they treat women. Um, and, you know, teaching them how to be respectful even when someone is dressed in a way that makes you uncomfortable, Right. That it's still on them to be um, to be appropriate in how they treat other people, to, regardless of how the other person acts. Right? Does that make sense? That there's yes. You know, uh, we each have our own responsibilities, and we are responsible for our own behavior and actions. And so, you know, I I, I try to encourage with my boys um, that that respectfulness that they have or that respect for they have for other people, that kindness and how you treat other people, those are the important things and that you look someone in the eyes and you treat them with respect, even if um, they don't have um, the same understanding of modesty and purity that you do. And I'm going to tell you right now, especially for those that maybe don't have teenage boys yet, no matter how much you try to protect your children, mm-hmm. you're boys are going to run into immodestly dressed women that they may be tempted to look at in an impure way. It's just billboards, grocery store, you know, I think some people want to, I think the purity culture set up this thing, well, that you protect your kids in such an extreme way, and all the people at church are supposed to dress a certain way so that my kids never see it and have to fall into that temptation. So that's why it's important to teach, you know, how we how we love one another and what things God has called us to and how we show respect. Yes. We've gotten a question in the group and then somebody wrote it down um wrote it in the group and uh it we have not approved it in the group because it makes me so nervous. Mm. Uh but we've had a lot this has been a crazy year. You know, 2021 is continues to be crazy. We we have lockdowns. We have different. All of us that live in different states um, have different standards right now. Uh, some states, with the increase of the virus, uh, they are on stricter lockdowns again. And like in California, we've got a, a huge amount of people in California. I'm not sure how it is in Texas. We're kind of moderately locked down here right now. And it's really brought up in, you see it all over social media. The question is how to discern the time to submit to the government versus resisting it. And I think that there's been a lot of unfortunate... Um, 
fear instilled maybe in people. Mm. And and Rachel Todd, your pastor, Pastor Todd Bordeaux, preached a sermon about this just a few weeks ago, which we're going to link in the episode notes. And maybe you could talk about that because I love his perspective on this. It was a really helpful sermon. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that... Um, you know, people are going to disagree about politics, and we have, you know, that's that's our right and privilege to do so. Like we, we're going to disagree about things, and that's okay. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ while disagreeing. Um, the passages uh, that he looked at, particularly he looked at Romans 13, uh, and that's a an important passage. I'll read just a little bit of it. Uh, it says, Every person is to be subject to the govern- governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Uh, for rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do evil, or do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices practices evil. Um, and it goes on, talks about us, we should pay taxes, um, pay um, honor and respect and taxes and custom to those who, who to whom it is due. And you know, so based on that, that's kind of the... Um, the, the summary of what uh, Todd talked about in the passage in the sermon and if you consider the time uh, of, of the early Christians the time that Paul was writing this is under the government of Rome it was a, a very um, tyrannical government it was um, leaders who uh, believed they were uh, godlike as far as their abilities and their authority um, and they persecuted Christians and others. And Paul tells them, and Scripture tells us, that we're to honor the government that's in, our, it's a, in authority over us. Right. Um, another passage uh, from 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you silence the ignorance of foolish people. Act as free people, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so, you know, because we are Christians who live in a democracy, we live in, the, in those of us who live here in the United States, um, we as citizens have certain rights. We can petition, we can vote, we can protest peacefully, um, also accepting that uh, we might be punished for disobedience um, if that were to happen. Um, uh, we have these rights and we... You, know, you see Paul uh, sta- uses his rights as a citizen of Rome uh, to um, protect himself from being um, imprisoned at one point and for another point from to um, appeal to Caesar so that he can um, he was able to spread the gospel. So Paul used his rights as a citizen and we should too um, but with respect and of course uh, with our ultimate uh, authority and respect uh, ultimate authority over us being being God um, we should never submit to sinful um, or evil commands and but we need to be careful about how we define that like if you look at uh, Daniel for example Daniel worked for uh, pagan kings he served pagan governments and he worked and served honestly, even though the men that he was serving were not godly men. And it was when he was commanded to worship the king that he refused. And he accepted the punishment for that. You know, he didn't fight against 
uh, Darius and his men when he was thrown into the lion's den, although he did pray, of course, to be rescued. Um, and you see, too, like in the early Christians, we know this from history, uh, around the 200, between 200 and 300 um, A.D., that they were um, being persecuted, and Christians, among others in the in Rome, were being asked to, uh, or commanded to, offer sacrifices to the Roman gods and in honor of the the emperor, and the Christians refused. Because, well, they could honor the king, they could obey the laws and pay their taxes and do the things that were right and good. They couldn't worship a false god. And I think that there's a balance there in what we're doing uh, and what we're told. That we live our lives, we live our lives respectfully, we uh, use the rights that we have as citizens to petition for certain changes of things and laws as we see are appropriate or good, but then we also are careful about when we disobey. And if what we disagree with is not a matter of sin, if it's not something that is asking us to worship um, someone other than God, it's not asking us to commit sinful behavior or to um, engage in sin or evil, then we should submit um, graciously and out of respect for the leadership that God's placed over us. There's a lot of stuff out there right now, and I won't go very deep into it. I think your summary of Todd's sermon, and I would, I would recommend listening to it, but we need to correctly distinguish between um, what our government is asking us to do and why and things that are truly against um, God's law. And there, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there right now. And um, uh, it's just important for us to distinguish, as I often say, you know, choose which hills you're going to die on and it needs to be things that would be truly contrary to God's law. Right. And, you know, the Christians, like the ones who did, who refused and Daniel went for refusing to worship, they they faced death for what they did, right? They they knew the consequences of, of refusing to go along, right? So, you know, we do have to recognize there may be a place for that, but we should be very careful about when we get to that place. That's exactly it, is make sure it is it is that place. You even think of Martin Luther. He mm-hmm. knew that not um, retracting the things he was teaching could mean death for him. Going back to the, the Christians who lived at the time that Paul's writing in Rome or later, you know, or, you know, Daniel and the, the Jewish uh, believers who were living in exile, they were living under awful governments. I mean, truly pagan, vile people doing pagan, vile things, right? And and yet, you know, Paul tells them that they need to submit to the government because God's put the government there for their good. And so, as, as you said, as long as we're not being asked to do something that is um, sinful, then we should be respectful of the government. Yeah, there, there is true religious persecution uh, mm-hmm. read about the things going on in North Korea, China, um, my own grandmother and much of my family had to escape Ukraine yes. um, because of the the persecution and even some family members' death um, for being Jewish, you know. And right. so, and, and it is possible we face that sort of thing one day. But, um, well, and you know, I, I, I'm not saying that you know if you see laws that you disagree with that you should say nothing. I mean, we right. have the right. I agree. Citizens, agree. Right. We can, um, you know, petition government. We can work on legislation. We can get involved. We can try to get things changed. These are things that are uh, even you know peaceful protests. And these are all things that we have as rights as citizens that we should use. You know, to try to improve our our situation, but. Um, we just should be careful as believers that we're not um, we're not dishonoring God in what we do. I think that's a, a good way to 
wrap up that question. It's a hard one. Um, so this next question, it, and fo- sadly, <laughs> I've heard it a few times, and I'm actually going to point to a couple of our previous podcasts, but uh, she says that she's listened to the podcast on spiritual abuse and how some women have been treated when they are needing to get out of a bad marital situation. She says, I don't know how to get out. And I think it was our episode with Todd where we talked about abuse and divorce that I think in that one, if you haven't listened to that one, listen to that one because I think it's that one where I I will say just on a very practical level, most areas have abuse shelters and organizations and if you're in that sort of situation you you don't have a church that is going to help you uh, contact one of those uh, abuse shelters or organizations because they're experts on helping you work through that yeah I absolutely first piece of advice would be to get somewhere safe and get the help that you need uh, seek help from the authorities and from those who can uh, provide the protection and the resources that you need. Um, it's, you know, it, the, the situations for someone getting out of an abusive situation, sorry, the issues with someone trying to get out of an abusive situation are so, um, there's so many variations that it's really hard to give more advice beyond that. Um, other than to say, find someone who is safe, get somewhere safe, and get help. Yeah, there are organizations out there that this is what they do. Uh, and they kind of know those practical things based on your specific situation. Because every situation is different. You know, um, you might have children, you may not have children, uh, you may, may have other issues. So I wish I could say more than that. There's not some, like, magic answer on that one because really you need somebody who like Rachel said you need to get somewhere safe first call a friend um, have them pick you up and and then from there um, it's good to find somebody who kind of knows what they're doing with uh, helping you get out and making sure that you stay safe um, dealing with I know I know of one situation um where the lady went to the shelter, but the shelter even had attorneys that worked with it. So she was able to get um, a restraining order and things like that. I know it's that practical stuff that um, that kind of scares people a lot. So I read something once, and I, I was just kind of shocked by it, um, that it was some weird reform view that said... You can't be friends with unbelievers. Now, what do you what do you think? Um, I mean, I th- I think about my Mormon neighbor, and she's my friend. My friendship is different with my Mormon neighbor than it is with a sister in Christ, but she is my friend. Um, and I have some other people like that. So, what does friendship look like with an unbeliever? You know, I have um, a number of of friends. Um, who are unbelievers and um, it's it is different from the friendship that I have with believers as far as there are things that we we don't share um, in, in common but um, I think that we can share things like our common grace concerns right things that we enjoy things that we think are important in life that are um, you know that are in the realm of uh, of common grace, and by that I mean, you know, outside the church. Um, we can encourage and love our friends who are unbelievers. We can pray for them. Um, we can uh, be ready to answer their questions, pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with them, let them see your life and how um, Christ and the Spirit are at work in you. And, you know, of course, as we've said with other things, you don't go along with sin or support sinful behavior but there's a lot of 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 area where you can have a a good friendship with someone who is not a believer and you know in all of it you know you're hopeful and prayerful that they would come to faith and that god would use you that way and i've seen that happen Mm -hmm. um in situations uh 
in our own family. We have a family friend who would hang out with us, all of us Christians, and became a Christian a few years ago, just completely changed life. And, you know, I've, I've seen that happen a few times. So I can't imagine, like, treating unbelievers like they're shunned or, or something. I've had, uh, I've had friendships with unbelievers that uh, suffer with similar health conditions that I suffer with and we can share a lot but I've also had opportunities to say you know I'm a Christian and this is how that's helped me too so even though we might compare you know other things doctors that have been helpful and um, you know treatments and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and, and that's that's what I mean like you know that like the passage that we read earlier about boundaries when Paul says, you know, I'm not saying you can't associate with people who are sinners because they need to have to leave the world and you can't leave the world, right? We're going to associate with people who are not believers. And, you know, like the example that, that Christ gives in his welcoming sinners around him and encouraging people, I think that we can be loving and kind and encouraging and, and friendly with people, even when they're not believers. Um, I think that that's something that we're called to. Well, love your neighbor as yourself does not say, you know, uh, love other believers as yourself. It says your neighbor, right. which includes believers and unbelievers. If you have any topics you would like us to do, um, there is a, a couple of these topics that we're going to dig into further uh, in, in upcoming weeks. We know that, like, the topic of boundaries is a big one that we could dig into um, more deeply. And if you have any topics you would like us to do, you can email us at theologygals at gmail.com or reach out to one of us on social media. We always consider those topic ideas. A lot of our topic ideas come from there. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.